church. Good morning, good morning. First of all, I'd like to say that it is such an honor and a blessing to be able to uh, stand before you and um, not just talk about a specific false doctrine, but to be able to preach God's word, his holy word that is, um, that is perfect. So we have had Adam's Road that came up and they were, uh, shared with us through music and through testimony. It was very, very powerful and it was beautiful. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me in his testimony, I forgot the first gentleman who spoke. Anybody need an outline? Go ahead and raise your hand up. One of the ushers will get you one of those. Well, uh, what, the, the thing that really stuck out to me is how uh, the gentleman that was up said that someone sat down with him and, and explained to him the gospel. Someone encouraged him to read God's word, took the time to not just say, hey, you're a false teacher or hey, you believe something wrong, but here's the correct way. Uh, we had uh, Brother Eli, who was a uh, Muslim who came to this country and he talked about the family when he went to church. He, went to, he just walked into a church and a family welcomed him in and kind of put them under his wing and, and showed him love. Uh, the atheist, uh, the teacher that is, that is now uh, teaching at the Master's Academy, he was a former atheist and he had someone speaking into his life. He had someone there who cared enough. And we should have that heart to where we care about people who don't know Jesus. Not just people who are living for the secular world, but people that are also stuck in a false religion. Uh, we're going to uh, read a little bit about false teachers. If you turn your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. First Timothy chapter four, verse one and two. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking in lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So he starts off saying the spirit expressly says, so the, this is something that is to be expected. This is something that is in the word multiple times. Jesus warned of it. And we should expect that there will be a, a false spirit that comes against the church, that comes against Christ. That is an antichrist spirit. It says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now what he's saying here is not necessarily that people are losing their salvation, but they are departing from the faith that they have believed in, that they have been taught. And they are starting to heed other things says that they give heed to deceiving spirits and even doctrines of demons. And the last part here is uh, really telling. It says, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So in you know, our medical technology today, when we have a, a soldier who is wounded in war or someone who is wounded in an accident, there are ways to prevent someone from bleeding to death. Uh, in, in the ancient times and, and times when this is written, if someone was hurt mortally and they were bleeding a lot, one of the techniques that they would use is to get an iron really hot and they would basically scar the wound close so that it would not bleed and that so they would not get infected as well. And just think of this mental picture of someone sticking a hot iron in a fire and just burning their conscience, not so it won't bleed, but so that you won't think, so that you won't feel, so that you won't have that guilt. And how do these people get there? They don't get there overnight, but it is a devolution, a, a devolution 
of the mind, of the conscience. And this is what Bishop talked about last week in Romans chapter one, where you know, you, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped the creator or the creation rather than the creator above. Um, if you turn also to 2 Timothy chapter four, verse three and four. Paul writes here, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned away to fables or to lies. Instead of taking on the truth of scripture and the hard doctrines people will turn to teachers who will tell them what they wanna hear. Uh, you know, a book comes to mind a couple years ago, we were in the airport going to New York for one of Jasmine's surgeries and I, I'm in the Christian book section of, and of course, the, the books that are right out in front representing the Christian section are probably the worst books you could read if you're looking for Christ. Uh, but I remember the title, it said, Your Best Life Now. <laughs> Your best life now. And I, you know, it was written by Joel Osteen, you know, in, in, in my opinion, according to uh, scripture, he is definitely a false teacher, uh, denying hell and denying that Jesus is the only way to God. Um, but just think the implication of that title, your best life now. Just think about it. If you could have your best life now, what that would mean. What happens after you die? That means you're going to hell if you really think about it. My best life isn't now. This life is tough. My best life is when I have a glorified body and I'm with my father in heaven. But the point isn't to pick on a particular teacher or a book, but to show that people will turn to these things to make themselves feel better about their own sin, about the condition that they're in. And instead of repenting and, and being sanctified by the word, they will turn to these doctrines. Uh, Galatians chapter one, verse eight we're gonna do a lot, a lot of scripture reading today, so uh, get your fingers warmed up. Um, it's already been said a lot better than I could ever say it. Amen. Galatians chapter one, verse eight, Paul says, but even if we, being the apostles, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Accursed. It doesn't say let him be corrected. It doesn't say let him, uh, you know, let us um, just let him do his own thing. It says, let him be accursed. Why? Because it is a demonic spirit. Now, there are people who will be corrected and who will uh, understand that what they're teaching is wrong, but there are, there are people who Satan has used to lead people to hell, lead people astray, and we have to be aware of that. And one of the things that I love about this church is that this is a spirit-filled, disciple-making church, and your elders have decided that this, this series, that this No Apology series, we're not doing it just to stir up stuff, but so that you will understand, that you will be equipped. Uh, you know, we've, talk, we've talked about Mormons, we've talked about atheism, we've talked about um, Jehovah's Witnesses now, what was the other one? Muslims. Um, I love Brother Eli, by the way. I was literally ready to move to Texas and go join his ministry. 
He was so inspiring. Uh, but, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, the, the truth is you do not have to be an expert in every single religion that we talk about. But you do need to know your own word. You need to know what the word teaches and you need to hide it in your heart so that when you do hear something that's false, it's a red flag. It comes up right away. Wait a minute. That's not true. When someone denies the deity of Christ, which is going to be my main talking point today, when someone tells you that Jesus is not Lord, that Jesus is not the Son of God, well, not the Son of God, they believe that, but that Jesus is not God, that's a red flag because this book right here is a Jesus book. And from front to back, it talks about the deity of Christ and his, um, his preeminence. So let's get a little bit into the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. We'll talk about history. I uh, got some false teaching false prophecies, and then we'll end with evangelizing and how to uh, put this all together to be able to speak to someone. Maybe you have uh, a friend that's a Jehovah's Witness. Maybe you have family members that are Jehovah's Maybe you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're here today. Highly unlikely, but maybe you are. Um, but no doubt everyone in this room at some point or, or another has had some interaction with, with a Jehovah's Witness. I can remember being a kid and my stepmom closing the blinds really quick and telling all us kids, shh, be quiet, be quiet. And, you know, as a kid, you're kind of wanting to, what's going on? Mom, mom, what's going on? And, um, and she's getting angry. Be quiet. They'll go away. It's, I call it like the T-Rex syndrome. If you're in your yard, just don't move and maybe they won't see you. <laughs> kind of fade into the bushes. But we shouldn't be afraid to talk to people about Jesus, to give a defense of our faith, and to be equipped to help them to see the light of Jesus Christ. So I got a, a real quick story before I move on here. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I worked for a man that uh, I went to church with. His name was Dan, and he owned his own fencing company. And uh, his son was a Jehovah's Witness. So his son and him, uh, Dan was a Christian. His son and him had a lot of animosity towards each other. They were, uh, his mom and Dan were divorced when he was young. He was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. And obviously, because of that, he believed that his father um, was a, a goat. Yeah, I read that this week. That's, they believe that pe people that oppose, uh, oppose them are goats. Um, so anyway, we're, we're doing this large, large fencing job in St. Cloud, and it's probably about 500 foot long. I'm down on this side, Dan's all the way on the other side, and his son is working in the middle, and we're putting up fence posts, digging holes, and in the middle, there's kind of like this rise because it's such a long span, and this is the time when the space shuttles were actually flying up and coming down. You guys remember the sonic booms, ba-boom, when the windows would shake, or you'd be outside and you'd hear it. You know, if that happened today, everybody would freak out. Um, but at that time, it was kind of normal. Um, and I remember working. I was digging a hole, and I was down on this side, and you could hear the space shuttle come in, and it was the, the, the two booms, ba-boom. And, and at first, you're kind of thinking, like, what was that sound? And then you, okay, it's the space shuttle. So I go back to work, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice of Dan. He's going, Anthony, Anthony, where are you? And I get up out of the hole and I could kind of see, see him and I walk over towards him and he had this look of relief on his face and I was like, what's going on? So think about this from his perspective. He hears a sonic boom, looks over, sees me gone and sees his Jehovah's Witness son standing there. He's like, I thought the rapture happened and I was left behind. <laughs> That's gotta be pretty terrible. 
All right, so let's get into the history. The Jehovah's Witness organization was formed under Charles Taze Russell in 1872. Um, he was 18 years old when he started his first Bible study. So he had some interest in God, some concept of who God is, and he wanted to have a Bible study to, um, to, be, to teach and to get, get into the Word. And over time, this uh, kind of made its way into what the Jehovah's Witness organization is. A few of the doctrines that he struggled with were eternal hell, which I would say is a very uh, hard doctrine for a lot of people to, to understand. You know, it's, it's, the gospel is offensive. And when you realize that you are dead in your own sin and that if you stand before God on your own accord that you will go to hell, that, that takes some reconciliation in your mind. Not a lot of people wanna hear that. Not a lot of people are enthusiastic about that part. The good news is great, but the bad news, if you don't have Jesus Christ, is pretty terrifying. And a lot of false teachers that we read about earlier or that we've talked about do not want to teach that message. That is a hard doctrine, especially when you're looking at it from a man-centered theology. So he, he, um, he struggled with the doctrine of hell, uh, the doctrine of the deity of Christ, which is preeminent. This is gonna be the most important thing that we talk about today is the deity of Christ. Because if Jesus is not God, then the Bible is a lie. And he also struggled with the Trinity, understanding the concept of the Trinity. Obviously, if you don't believe Jesus is God, then the Trinity really doesn't make any sense. Um, so he stated that the church fell into apostasy during the rule of Emperor Constantine in the fourth century. So Constantine ruled Rome during this time. Um, they claim, the watchtower that is, claim that during the Council of Nicaea, in 325 AD, that Constantine influenced church elders and introduced the doctrine of the Trinity into the church. So when I sat down with a Jehovah's Witness in my house, um, I actually had two conversations with this person at, at different times. Uh, this was one of the points of contention that he brought up. He brought up that you, the church can't be right because after this, the church fell into apostasy, into false teaching, and has accepted a doctrine that's not in the Bible. And this is a tactic that they try to use to undermine your belief and to use false information. It's a historic event which actually happened. Constantine was actually an emperor. Rome actually existed, but it's, it's twisted with a lie. And I started thinking about that, and I was thinking, who else uses this tactic you remember the Garden of Eden? You shall not surely die. Isn't that what Satan said to Eve? What did he say to Jesus when he tempted him? He actually used scripture in Matthew chapter four against Jesus. He's basically telling him, you jump off the temple, they're not gonna let you dash your feet. He, used, he was quoting Psalms. And that's a tactic that, that Satan uses where he'll use a little bit of fact and he'll twist it into a lie to make it somewhat believable. Turns out, after a little bit more study on, on my part, that the Council of Nicaea really had nothing to do with the Trinity. The Trinity actually was uh, brought up in the creed. So when, once they, all the elders got together, they talked about it. They came out with this creed. This is what we believe. You know, the, the Godhead was in that. But the Council of Nicaea was more about the person of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, because there were a lot of false teachings. And the church was starting to separate at that time. And as emperor of a, of a 
of an empire, that's the last thing you want. So that is why they were brought together. Um, in 1879, um, Charles Taze Russell began publishing Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ, which would later become known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society in 1931. So the first edition of the Watchtower magazine was 6,000 copies each month, which, is, which sounds like a pretty large number. Um, but this will probably blow your mind. Today, they publish 1,000 books, 100,000 books, and 800,000 copies of its two magazines daily. I have a copy here of one of these magazines that I was handed by um, my Jehovah's Witness counterpart. Um, it says the Watchtower up here. It has all their uh, information and how to get to their jw.org website. Um, so they're pumping these things out left and right. They're giving them out every chance they get. And later on, I'll, I'll go over why they give them out and why they're so stuck on these materials. Um, but I just want you to think about that. Think about the vast quantities uh, of magazines and books, all these false lies that are just being spread out there left and right. This one kind of took me by surprise. Um, <laughs> so Charles Taze Russell had no formal theological training. Uh, he claimed that the Bible could only be understood through his interpretation and he could not read or write Greek or Hebrew. Anyone familiar with the Reformation? This is, this is a tactic used by the Roman Catholic Church in the early and early on, it taught that it alone could interpret scripture, which I don't want to demonize the Roman Catholic Church. I understand the importance of proper scripture interpretation. So on that aspect of it, yes, we have to be very careful that people don't go around interpreting their own versions of scripture and that they're teaching what we believe and, and what church, not just tradition, but what is, uh, is in the Bible. But when you keep the Bible from people being able to read it, having some type of personal interpretation, understanding and experiencing God's word for themselves, that is very dangerous. And there were a lot of heretical things that were done during that time. And that's really a whole nother sermon series in itself. Um, but basically the congregants of the Catholic church at that time were at the mercy of elders or leaders or whoever the, the priest was that was teaching them from the Bible. Um, one of the testimonies that I read about a former Jehovah's Witness, he was actually ministering in Brazil and he was learning Portuguese and he didn't have a NWT, which is their Bible, New World Translation at that time. It wasn't translated yet into Portuguese. So he was using a traditional Protestant Bible and that is how he became saved because he read through the scriptures. And in his testimony, he said these exact words that I realized that this was a Jesus book. So after his death in 1916, the Watchtower had various presidents that have overseen it. Some of them offering their own false prophecies and contradictions. You know, I put a little side note in here that Russell started the Jehovah's Witness organization or the movement, but ultimately it was Satan that, that started it and upholds it to this day. He is the father of lies. Amen. That's right. 
So it doesn't matter what president or what board of elders is there. Satan is running this organization. It is an antichrist organization. The Watchtower teaches that the Bible can't be interpreted literally, but must be interpreted through the organization. That is why they are so adamant on giving you these materials. Because they believe that not even themselves can understand scripture without one of these or one of the books that the organization has published. They are taught that in their kingdom halls. Um, They have published their own interpretation of the Bible that I referenced earlier. It's called the New World Translation. This version intentionally, intentionally changes traditional scripture and deviates from the original languages to bolster their false beliefs. So one thing in, in theology, um, basically what theology is, it's the science of knowing God. And what science does is it discovers, it doesn't create. Unfortunately, we have a lot of perverted scientists in our day and age that want to create and don't want to discover what's really there. But if you look at the evidence, um, science discovers, doesn't create. So if we look at theology as a science, we don't create God. We discover God through his word. And that's what true theology is. And what they have done and many other false religions have done is try to fit God into the scope of what they believe God is. So we're going to go over three specific verses where they change scripture to suit their beliefs. Let me get a sip of water real quick. So one of my favorite verses in the Bible, let's go all the way to the beginning, Genesis chapter one. Chapter one, verse one. Genesis one, one, that's in the beginning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Thank you. And here's here's my favorite part. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You can just imagine what that looked like. The Spirit, so it's complete darkness. The water is dark. Everything below it is dark. And God is the light. The Spirit of God is dwelling, is hovering over the face of the, of the waters. How powerful is that? How, what a great picture that is for our minds. Well, they changed that. So in verse two, they changed it to God's active force was hovering over the face of the waters. And I said this to my wife. I don't know why I use this analogy, but I said, God is not a vacuum cleaner. God is not a tool. Or, or the Holy Spirit is not a vacuum cleaner. It's, it's not a tool. It is God. It's the third person of the Trinity. If you look down at, the, at verse three, it says, his, the spirit of God was hovering and then God said, let there be light. The Holy Spirit is God. But they changed this, this uh, interpretation because they don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, John chapter one, verse one. Let's flip again, New Testament. John chapter one, one.
All right, John says here, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Big G. Yep, the word was God in the beginning. Well, they change it. They change it to this translation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God, little g. This is because they do not believe that Jesus is God. They also change Hebrews chapter one, verse eight from your throne, O God. So basically the writer of Hebrews uh, references a, a Psalm, Psalm 46 or 45, verse six. And he says that God, the father is saying to Jesus, your throne, O God. And they change that verse to say, God is your throne. And here's the kicker with this particular verse. That's the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. But they also went back to Psalms and changed that verse to match it with the New Testament. This isn't a mistake. It's not a, I made a wrong interpretation. It's a deliberate attempt to mislead anyone who would read that. Some other books that they teach from, um, Aid to Bible Understanding. This book was, was published in 1971. Um, also, Insight on the Scriptures. This was 1988. Reasoning from the Scriptures, which was 1985. And a lot of the false teachings that I'm going to reference here are in those books. And at the end, I'll go over a few uh, websites that you can visit that are very good and, and is where I got all this information from. So we'll get into a little bit of the false teachings. Number one, they believe there is one God in one person, and that is Jehovah God. Whereas we believe that there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they believe there is one God in one person, and Jehovah is, is his name. Uh, they believe there is no trinity, as we've talked about um, the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. Jehovah's first creation was Michael, the archangel, who they believe is Jesus Christ. Jesus was only a perfect man, not God in the flesh. You know, we read John chapter one, verse four, or, uh, one through three, or verse, yeah, that's what we did. Um, but verse 14 says this expressly, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is God, and the word became flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was not just a man in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. Um, Jesus did not rise from the dead in his physical body, but he rose in a spiritual body. So then how did Thomas put his fingers through his hand? And if Jesus is not God, why did Thomas say, my Lord and my God? They believe Jesus was born again. On the, the next one here is actually a picture on the front of this magazine You'll notice if you look closely, he's not carrying a cross. They believe that Jesus was crucified on a stake. It's just straight up and down pole and not a cross.
Another false teaching is that Jesus' ransom sacrifice did not include Adam since he was a willful sinner. So Adam's just out of luck. The watchtower is the self-proclaimed prophet of God, the only channel to God's truth. This is the first sign that, of any cult. When, when anyone tells you that only they have the answer or that you can only understand through them, run. Only their church members will be saved. 144,000 will be with Jehovah and Jesus in heaven. The rest will dwell in paradise, which is the new earth, and anyone not saved will just cease to exist. This is the, their doctrine of annihilation. So they don't believe in hell. They believe that when God judges, if you are not a part of their church, you just cease to exist at all, like you never happen. So what is the penalty of living an unrighteous life for them? Ask yourself. So they believe 144,000 in heaven with God, the rest of their church are gonna be here on earth. A few of the, man, this, this really, this really uh, shook me a little bit. A few of the testimonies of former, I'm ringing a little bit. I don't know if maybe you can bring me down. A few of the former uh, Jehovah's Witness testimonies that I read, um, they said that most Jehovah's Witnesses in your typical kingdom hall don't want to be one of the 144,000 with God. They want to be on the, on the new earth. And I was thinking like, why would you not want to be with God? Well, they don't have the relationship with God. They, they believe in an all-powerful Jehovah God, but they don't have that relationship that Jesus talked about where we, where we pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. They don't understand that. It's foreign to them. They are very, they are very uh, conscious on keeping God holy or Jehovah holy, but they don't understand that they can come boldly before the throne through Jesus Christ because they don't understand the true Jesus Christ. Good works are necessary for salvation. They believe that. This is why they're so adamant and diligent on going door to door. Uh, when I was speaking with Robert in my house, um, I had spoken to him about, now he had asked if I talked to people about uh, God and I spoke to him about being part of the evangelism ministry here, about going downtown, about talking to people at work, wherever I am. And he got really excited. And I thought it was kind of weird. And he kind of came up in his chair and he goes, um, so do you keep track of that? And I, at first I was like, what the heck are you talking? Why would I keep track of that? It's because they, they're keeping tally. They're working for their supposed salvation. They're working for their place. Um, another false teaching that we already talked about, there is no hell. Blood transfusions are a sin. Um, they, they misinterpret uh, Leviticus when God in, instructs the children of Israel not to eat blood. And they, uh, they manipulate that to say that when you get a blood transfusion, you're eating blood. Uh, they believe the cross is a pagan symbol. Here's a good one. Uh, the government is run by Satan. That's why they don't vote. That's why they don't join the military. Uh, Paul references Satan as the God of this world, and they take that to mean that Satan runs this world. But I don't remember, I don't know if you guys are here last week, Bishop talked about Romans chapter 13, verse one through six. 
So let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Also in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, through 15, uh, there's more if you wanna write that down and, and look that up later. Another false belief is that Satan was entrusted with the obligation and charged with the duty of overseeing the creation of the earth. How do you know this is a demonic doctrine? Because Satan is trying to puff himself up through this doctrine, through this false religion. Here's the kicker. Here's the big one. And, the, and the, this is the one I'm going to die on this hill. I will, I will never relent, no matter what happens. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. And this is the most important false teaching that I want to talk about. So obviously they deny the deity of Jesus. They explain that Jesus is Michael the archangel, who they believe is the first created being. Michael's name is interpreted as who is like God and that he was the first created being. This is why they changed the wording in John 1 to reflect like a God with a little g. And I want you to really consider this next point. Since Satan is also referred to by Paul as the God of this age, little g, the watchtower effectively gives Satan the same position or nature as Jesus Christ. After all, they're both angels. Hebrews chapter one and two state how Jesus is higher than the angels. Specifically in verse six, the writer of Hebrews writes, uh, let all the angels of God worship him. Which sounds pretty familiar to us, but if you think about it through their doctrine and their false belief. If Jesus is not God, then this verse would be blasphemy. In fact, every mention or moment in the Bible where anyone worshiped Jesus would be blasphemy. And that would be sin. And Jesus can't save you from your sins if he is a sinner. Jesus accepted worship because he is God. He was God in the flesh and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Revelations 1, chapter 8. Jesus refers to himself as the Alpha and Omega. For those of you that have the red letters in your Bible, you can, you can turn there and see it in the red letters where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is a term that is designated for God. Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Jesus did not change from an angel into a man and then into a spiritual being. He has always existed and does not change his nature or his character. Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven. Go ahead and, and turn your Bibles there. Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven.
Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. If you notice in verse five, or verse six rather, it says, who being in the form of God. The Greek word here for form is actually morph. It's M-O-R-P-H-E, which means in the form or the shape of. Jesus had, has the nature of God, not of an angel. The, the expression form of God may be correctly understood as the essential nature and character as well. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17. Colossians is right around the corner here. 1, 15 and 17. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Verse 15 states that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Does that mean that the father is in flesh, in the flesh and blood that Jesus was there with him? No, it's his character. Jesus has the character of his father. He has the nature of the father because he is divine. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Not only did Jesus create everything, but he holds it together in his hands. First Timothy chapter two, verse three, three through five for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is Jesus claiming his deity. My last point here on the deity of Christ, uh, we're gonna turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. And we're gonna do two things here. We're gonna, we're gonna discover in Genesis how Jesus is God. And we're also going to see, uh, you know, one of the things that the Jehovah's Witnesses said to me is that the Trinity doesn't exist in the Old Testament. So, so he said, uh, I laugh because I got him real good. And it wasn't me, it was the Spirit of God. I'll give him all the glory. But he says to me, well, the Jews don't believe in the Trinity. And I said, brother, the Jews don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> what does that matter? <laughs> if you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, so Genesis chapter 16 We'll start at verse one. This is the story of Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar. Um, verse one, now Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, he had not changed his name yet, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, 
See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had uh, dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when he saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. She was very jealous. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave you, I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And from then, and when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. All right, so that's kind of the backstory of what we're gonna talk about here. This next few verses, you need to pay very close attention to what we read. Verse seven. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. By the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, Where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. The angel of the Lord here is Jesus Christ. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord then said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so they shall not be counted for multitude. Angels don't multiply, God does. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand shall be against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And here is the verse that shows you that Jesus is God. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, have I also seen him who sees me? This is a Jesus book. From beginning to end, this is a Jesus book. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He created all things and all things are sustained by his hand. So let's talk a little bit about some of the false prophecies. Now, none of this is funny. It's sad. It's, it's a little scary to know that so many people are deceived and going, going to hell without knowing who God really is. So they believe that Jesus' invisible presence or kingdom has been on earth since 1914. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but I would say that's not the case. They once taught that God ruled the universe from the Pleiades star system. Thanks to modern technology and telescopes, we have found that is not true. They now say that God is unknowable and who could know where he dwells? Of course, how convenient. They teach that the 6,000 year reign of Adam ended in 1872. 
And when that didn't happen, it ended in 1873. When that didn't happen, it ended in 1972. And finally, 1975. Essentially, with their prophecies, um, I'm cracking here. Hold on just a second. Essentially, with their prophecies, the, the way they came up with these end time dates is that Charles Taze Russell took dates in the book of Daniel, and he also took measurements from the pyramid of Giza and somehow put them together through mathematics. Um, at work, we call those, that type of mathematics fuzzy math because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, they believe Armageddon would end in 1914. Uh, World War I started April 1914. It was very convenient for them. They see all this destruction going on. Uh, World War I lasted until 1918. In 1943, the Watchtower said this, man cannot by an airplane or with rockets The first man went into space April 12th, 1961. It's not very hard to dispute lies when you're in the truth. And it's very evident through multiple prophecies that this is a false teaching. Just consider this, of all the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that he fulfilled every single one of them. If one of them was wrong, it would be, it would be completely wrong. It would be false if one of them was wrong. I just gave you four, and that's not even like a majority of all the fraud, uh, uh, false prophecies. So what do we do? When you come across a Jehovah's Witness, what do you do? How do you speak to them? Where, what are the things you should say? I took my family to Donut King this morning and we got some donuts. Praise God for donuts. So we're sitting there eating and this lady comes up to me with this pamphlet. She says, can I give you one of these? And I look and I see jw.org on it. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I'll explain uh, uh, why I did that. So we talked about how much of this stuff they, they give out. And I was at the place of one time where I didn't want to accept it because that's false teaching. I don't want to touch it. I don't want anything to do with it. And then I kind of rolled into, well, you know what? I, I do want that. Give me as many as you can because, you know, I want to hand those out to the garbage can, right? I want to, I want to take it off their hands. But that's not really a good strategy you know, if they hit 30 homes a day and, and they're pumping this material out, or 30 homes a day, 30 homes a week, you know, that adds up. Three times four is 12. It's 120 homes in a month. But if I can speak the truth into a Jehovah's Witness, think of how that'll add up when they stop handing out this material. When they have um, the background of the Watchtower organization along with the power of Jesus Christ and his word to reach those that they were once a part of. So first off, you guys should pray for Jehovah's Witnesses and all false teachers, all false prophets. I think, you know, as, uh, as Bible-believing Christians, people who are grounded in the truth, especially being teachers or being 
elders or pastors being in charge of other souls, it makes you very angry when you see people teaching falsely. And it can be very easy to come down with a harsh hammer. But the truth is that nothing that we do can change people's hearts or minds. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts. After our conversation this morning, which I'll um, explain here in a second, we, my family and I prayed in the car for Sherry. She said her name, she said her name was Sherry. So pray for Sherry, uh, that the Holy Spirit would convict her, that the things I said would really be that nail that's in her chair where she can't sit down comfortably. So essentially, she tried to hand me this, this pamphlet and I said no, and she's like, well, well, why not? And I said, well, I'm actually gonna be teaching on Jehovah's Witnesses this morning at my church. And she was like, gave me the look, and I gave her the look, and it was like a stare down for a minute. Uh, everything got real quiet in the donut shop. Um, just kidding. Um, yeah, it's like a high noon in the old west. And and she's like, "Oh, you're a Roman Catholic." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "No, I'm not Catholic." Oh, you're Church of Christ. And I'm like, "No, I'm not Church of Christ." She goes, "Where do you go to church?" Church. I said, "I go to Faith Elma Fellowship." Oh, you're an Assembly of God. I thought that was funny how she drew that out of our name. I said, no, I'm not that. I'm a Christian. I believe in the Bible. And it was so funny how she tried to pin me in some type of corner. But then she got so defensive and angry. I told her that Jesus is God. You know, you guys teach that Jesus isn't God. Jesus is God. And she got so angry. And I don't remember our whole dialogue, but she, she was very nasty and she says, I've only had two people. I'm 66 years old and I've been a Jehovah's Witness my whole life. And I've had only two people talk to me the way you have. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I haven't said anything. All I've said is that Jesus is God and that you, you're a false teacher. I guess that can, I guess that can be. It just came to me. I understand why she was so upset. <laughs> All right. But she said only two people have talked to me. So let's say she was saved when she was 16 years, or uh, uh, Jehovah's Witness when she was 16 years old. That's 50 years. So you mean to tell me that only two Christians in 50 years has talked to her about Jesus Christ the way that I talked to her? And she asked why I was being so forward. And I said, Sherry, I'm never gonna see you again. I want you to understand who Jesus is. It's not like we work together. It's not like we uh, have some type of common interest. I've never seen you in my life and I'll probably never see you again. We need to be genuine in our concern for Jehovah's Witnesses or any, you know, I, this is how to evangelize to Jehovah's Witnesses, but I'd say any false, any, you know, any Muslim, we need to be genuine in our concern for their salvation. Any atheist, any Mormon, we don't need to be worried about proving them wrong, but about introducing them to Jesus Christ. Christ. <clears throat> Don't approach them with superior attitudes. It is God's place to judge and convict. It is ours to preach and teach his word. I simply said the truth that Jesus is God and she about lost it.
The Watchtower organization has spent over 100 years perfecting their training methods. These people are diligently trained inside of their kingdom halls on how to deal with Christians and non-believers. They've been trained that they will be persecuted. So when you resist them, it only validates what their elders have taught them. They have been trained to close their minds to your words and they are equipped to refute your argument. I would bet that the average Jehovah's Witness could probably pummel a Christian, a, a, a typical Christian in a theological debate. I would consider myself not, you know, having a doctorate in theology, but pretty well-rounded my theology and, and, uh, and my dealings with Jehovah's Witnesses. There, there's been some times where I've had to like throw a punch and, and kind of step back a minute and like think in my head, like, am I, do I really believe what I believe? It's important to do this. So, so they're trained to close their minds, to not listen whatever you have to say to them. So here's, here is a tactic that you can use to be able to speak the truth of scripture into what they're saying. Ask them their beliefs. Ask them, so what do you believe? When I was speaking to the gentleman in my home, I asked him this question and I could see him again, rise up out of his chair because he was ready to do that. As he was rising out of his chair, his, also his guard kind of came down because he was ready to do what he had been trained to do. And instead of being uncomfortable in an attack position, now he kind of opened himself up. So they are trained not, uh, to teach, not to listen. So by allowing them to speak about their beliefs, you can show them errors in those beliefs through scripture. So I let him open the Bible, take me to scriptures, and scriptures that he was saying, this proves that Jesus is not God. And then I showed him what scripture really meant and that Jesus was God. Not that I am a great Bible teacher, but that the Holy Spirit was moving. There were verses that he had never seen before that he didn't understand. Why? Because, he, because he's taught from this material, not from what the Bible teaches. They're taught from material that the Watchtower produces. They don't sit down and just study scripture on its own because they don't believe they can understand it. And he, was, he marveled at how I could understand scripture. He actually, the second time he came, the first time he came with his wife, the second time he brought another elder from his kingdom hall, Stephen. And they, I almost didn't let him in. I'm like, two, two guys in my house, I got my wife and kids here, I don't know. Uh, but they were old, so I felt like I could take them. <laughs> Uh, um, wow, I lost my train of thought there. Sorry. Oh, I remember. So Robert said to Stephen, um, Stephen <laughs> went through the typical, so dealing with both of them, I could see like their checklist of things that they've been taught to say. And as Stephen's about halfway through this with me, Robert turns to him and goes, no, Stephen, he underst- he's, dude, he's smart. He understands the Bible. I thought that was so funny. My wife actually started laughing a little bit. Um, their trust in the Watchtower organization needs to be broken. You can be successful by sowing seeds of doubt, not in God, but the Watchtower organization. If Jehovah God is the father, then the Watchtower organization to them is the mother. 
We talked about this one earlier. Jesus, our witnesses do not have a personal, personal relationship with God. This is why a lot of them don't wanna be with God for eternity. You can be, or talk about your relationship with God, the Father, and how you can come boldly before him, how you can pray to him. Your testimony can make them hungry for a real relationship with God. And the last one here, be persistent and patient. Sow the word and let the Holy Spirit do his work. It's not your job to convert. It's your job to teach the word. It's your job to proclaim the word. Be ready for it. It may seem very difficult to teach or to try to convert someone of a different religion or belief system. But if you think about your own conversion, it's a miracle in itself. The fact that we have come to Christ and we believe in him, the fact that he came to earth to die for our sins. And I wanna read you something in Ezekiel. You don't have to turn here. If you wanna write it down, this would be good for you to go back and look at. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses five. If you wanna turn, you can, but. God is speaking through Ezekiel to Jerusalem. And this scripture is a great example of God's love and God's mercy. You know, Chad said it earlier during communion, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. God is saying here, no, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into the open field and you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood. And I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again, I looked upon you. Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. You know, I don't know what condition uh, you walked in today. I don't know you know, where you are in a spiritual walk, maybe you don't, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus or about God or about what it takes to be a child of God. But I wanna say that none of us deserve it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. You don't have to become something to be a child of God. It is God who looks on us with mercy, with love, and in our broken state, he lifts us up. For if you confess, believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. If you haven't confessed that with your mouth, confess it today. You know, as, as we sing songs to close out, you know, I'd like to, to have Eric come up, maybe just play something on the piano. I wanna give you guys the opportunity to come up if you haven't.
and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. And I also want anyone who can to come to this altar. And here's the reason. There is someone that you know, that you love, who you need to be praying for. And you need to pray that God, through his Holy Spirit, convicts their hearts and brings them to him. This can be very painful. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. And I want to invite you today to come to this altar and lift him up to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your scripture. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing is by your word. And we ask that that word would penetrate the hearts of men, that would break us down, that our conscience would be stirred and our hope would be put in you, Jesus. You are the only way of salvation. Lord, may you be glorified forever and ever.